Since the beginning, members of the NC Advocates for Justice have been raising their voices, speaking out on behalf of those who go unheard, joining their voices to oppose injustice and support fair treatment for everyone under the law. With this podcast, Voices of NCAJ, we'll listen to those members, lawyers and legal professionals who founded the organization, whose dedication and energy kept it going and guided it through growth, change and challenges. Each conversation will inspire us to meet the future with a unified voice that channels the strengths and accomplishments of our organization. Welcome to Voices of NCAJ. This episode features one of our NCAJ Legends interviews recorded during Convention 2022. As part of our 60th anniversary celebration, each Legends episode allows a longtime member to tell their story and the story of NCAJ. Before we kick that off today, I'd like to remind you that our podcast is edited and engineered by our friends at Law Pods, a professional audio production company focused on helping lawyers make great sounding podcasts. They sweat all the details so you concentrate on the content. If you're thinking about podcasting, check them out at lawpods.com. They've made podcasting a breeze for us. Melissa Abrams, and I am happy to be participating in the storytelling sessions with NCAJ Legends. NCAJ has created this series to honor our longtime members whose contributions to the organization have helped sustain it for more than 60 years. Today, I am honored to be here with Peggy Abrams. So Peggy, can you tell me a little bit about when you decided that you wanted to be a lawyer? Well, that's kind of a funny conversation, um, funny story. I did not think about being a lawyer when I was younger or even when I was in college. I had wanted to be a doctor. I applied to medical school and did not get in. It was um, in 1976, and one of the key parts of getting into medical school was your interview with at the medical school. And I had my interview, and I walked out and kind of knew that I was not going to be offered a place because I was a woman, ultimately. And Doug and I were had been dating and were planning to get married. So I really only applied to Bowman Gray in Winston-Salem. And once that happened, I was just really discouraged. So I didn't know what I was going to do. And I had been taking, I was a biology undergraduate student at Wake Forest and got a biology degree, but I had been taking a lot of English literature courses and really, really enjoyed it and had some really good friends in the department. And I really did not know what I was going to do for the following year. So one of the professors said, I was also working part-time at a preschool. So he said, well, just keep your part-time job and come and take classes toward your master's in English. So I did that. And at the time, Doug was uh, my master's year. Doug was a first-year law student at Wake Forest. And we had this little tiny apartment where he was studying just all the time, constantly, every night. And one evening, we were both studying, and Doug just said, I have read this case 10 times, and I just do not understand what they're trying to say. He said, would you just look at this and see if, you know, he said, I think I'm tired, whatever. So I read the case, and then we had a conversation about it, and it was just fascinating. And I thought sort of right then and there that 
I was going to try to go to law school. And it was in the spring of, so it was his second semester. Things were really different. You still had to take the LSAT, you had to apply to law school and everything, but the deadlines were not quite as strict. So I literally walked in to take the LSAT two weeks later and took the LSAT, sent off my scores to Wake Forest in late April and was able to get into Wake Forest Law School for the following semester. I didn't think about being a lawyer when I was younger because I just really, really wanted to be a doctor, but I am from a family of lawyers, so it wasn't really unheard of for me to kind of pick that twist and go on to law school. So it worked out great. I loved law school. I really did. I just, I loved being there. I loved everything about it. I loved the subject matter. You know, I know a lot of kids and students don't really love it, but I just loved everything about it. So happy to have made that switch. I love picturing you and Doug sitting there when he doesn't understand the case and you have to go and explain it to him. That's, I had not heard that story in yeah. several years. I think. Um, <laughs> when did you and Doug first start practicing together? Because I feel like that was the moment when you like yeah. he realized he's like, oh, no, I need Peggy to come work with me. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's kind of funny. And we really were sort of co-students in law school. We, he, he was a year ahead of me. But we did end up taking a few classes together, and it, we did study a lot together. It was really very helpful for each of us to both be going through the same thing, pretty, you know, even though I was a year behind him. But um, as far as practicing, I got out of – well, Doug was a year ahead of me, as I said, and he came to Raleigh to work with Charlie Blanchard. I still had my third year of law school to go, and Charlie – sweetest man on the planet, really wanted Doug to be there, but we had met, knew them well. And when it came time for Doug to move to Raleigh, he said, well, what's Peggy going to do? Is she going to leave law school? And he didn't want me to. I mean, Charlie was very, very supportive of me being in law school. And Doug said, well, you know, we're going to have two apartments. She's going to be in Winston. I'm going to be here. And he said, well, that really won't do. He said, we need to get her over closer. So Charlie actually was instrumental in me transferring and doing my third year of law school at Duke. Charlie was a Duke alum, so that was very helpful. So we were able to move together to Raleigh. But then after graduating, I did not have a job. Again, thanks to Charlie, was able to get a clerkship with the newest judge on the Court of Appeals, Judge Willis Wichard. And I did that for a year and a half and all the time working, I'm working with Judge Wichard, was looking for a job in Raleigh. And I, when I was in law school, I really, really enjoyed the contract stuff, the real technical stuff. It may have come from having a science background. So I kind of thought that's what I would want to do. But as I interviewed those kinds of firms, I just really wasn't too excited about it. I loved what Doug was doing. I really did. And so I was started looking at litigation firms but that was a problem in 1980 because Doug was practicing in a litigation firm in Raleigh. Raleigh was small, and it was really probably not going to happen that I would work in a different firm in the same field. So again, Charlie kind of said, well, why don't we just bring her in here and see if it works? So I went to work with Blanchard Twiggs. Denson and Earls was the name of the firm at the time. So again, I owe a lot to Charlie. And was it Charlie Blanchard that first got you involved with NCAJ? It was actually Alan Bailey. When I was in law school, I was a member of the mock trial team. And Alan and Marianne Talley and honestly cannot remember who else were conducting, was then run through 
NCAJ, it was NCATL at the time, the um, Trial Advocacy Clinic. And they would go to different courtrooms or law schools in the summers and do their trial advocacy trials. It was the end of the course. The students who were in the course did a mock trial. So our mock trial students at Wake Forest were the witnesses for a mock trial for the the trial advocacy clinic. I always forget what it's called. But anyway, Alan Bailey was going to be questioning me. And um, he, when he was prepping me as my witness, we spent more of our time talking about the academy than we did about getting prepped to be a witness. And I think ultimately I was a really terrible witness in that trial. But we um, had just a great conversation about the advocates and at the time, mm-hmm. um, academy trial lawyers. So I actually joined as a student, which would have been in 1977. I think 77 or 78. And yeah, 78. So I've been a member since then, probably missed a year my last year of law school, but I've been a member since back in college. When you first, when you were practicing with Charlie Blanchard, was it assumed that by, because you were practicing with him that you would be continuing to be a member of the academy? It was, but it was definitely expected. But everyone who worked with him wanted to do it because the Academy of Trial Lawyers was just the best place to go to be supported by people in our field. And one of the best things about the Academy at the time was the education. It was pre-CLE requirements. So we went to seminars because we wanted to learn. There was no, the State Bar didn't require continuing legal education. But the academy put on the best seminars and they had, you know, the best trial lawyers in the state and around the country coming in and teaching. And there wasn't a lot of trial work. The practical part of trial work was not taught at all in law school. This, the mock trial team that I was on was the first mock trial team that Wake Forest had ever had. And there were no classes whatsoever in trial practice. So this is how you learned to do what we do. And they they were also great about bringing in experts, which we all were, you know, needing in our cases and having, you know, learning how to work with an expert, how to question an expert, how to prepare your case. So being a member was kind of a necessary thing for doing the work we were doing. Tell me about outside of the educational aspect of the Academy at that time. What were some of the other ways that the academy felt supportive to you and helped you with your practice? Well, in a, in a lot of different ways, um, very definitely. But one of the things that was really important to me is how welcoming, at the time, the pr- very very vast majority of the of the members were men, and the vast majority of litigators in North Carolina were men. But they, the members of NCATL welcomed the women, the young women who were coming out into the practice of law with open arms and with no hesitation. And I felt like I was really an equal to the folks who were there. And there was never a question. Being a man or a woman didn't matter. We were just all lawyers. We were all trial lawyers. We were all doing the same things, trying to to do what was right for our clients and get them the recovery that they deserved and needed. So that was just huge. It was really huge, especially having had the experience of the interview that I had at 
Bill McGray School of Medicine, which was really very disappointing. But then also a lot of the job interviews that I had, I really did feel like it would have been a disadvantage to be a female lawyer at the time, but not here. It was just never an issue, which was great. Plus, of course, we had fabulous women lawyers who were members before me, Marianne Talley and Liz Cunahome come to mind. Elaine Marshall was a member. You know, we just, we had good role models, not as many by any means as there are today, which is, it, I just love the fact that there are so many young women who are members and who are active. Fast forwarding to now, we have so many, for women of my generation coming up through NCAJ, we have so many women who are still active in the organization, you know, like you and the others that you've mentioned. What do you think that we need to be doing to continue to encourage that welcoming environment that you felt and to continue to grow as supporting women who are trial lawyers? Well, first of all, I hope that the young women who are members do feel welcomed by all the attorneys. I, you know, we were much smaller, so I probably knew every member of the academy, and that's obviously different. So to have that kind of level of, of inclusion, I think we need as much as we possibly can to maintain the opportunities for gathering together, for networking, for supporting each other in learning. And one of the things about, the, about NCAJ that I think is fabulous is that we are not competitive with one another, as far as my experience that we all do very similar things, but we're not really competing each against each other for clients. And then when we get a case, we're not, we're sharing, we're, we share so much. And I'm hopeful that that ability to support each other in that way will remain and that we don't change the culture at all. And I can't speak for those of you who are coming along at this point but I'm hopeful that that's what you feel. So we are back together for convention in person for the first time in several years since uh, we you know, had to shut down for COVID. And it's so great to be back together. Thinking back over all of the NCAJ or NCATL conventions and, and Mountain Magics that you've been to over the years, do you have any favorite memories that come to mind? <laughs> the one that just pops right into my head is... Uh, one of the very first conventions that I ever attended was in Wilmington. And I've mentioned this to some people and they don't even remember that we had this convention because our conventions were small at the time. But we were at a board of governors meeting and everyone could attend the board of governors meetings, or maybe it was the annual meeting. We were at the annual meeting and we had brought Noah. He was our only child at the time and he was two. And being at Wilmington, there was kind of, there was a, a very obvious beach theme to the convention. And Noah, I think, may have been the only child there, although there's a possibility Helen Bedore was there as an infant, but I'm not <laughs> positive because they're close in age. But, but at any rate, Elliot or um, Noah won over everybody's hearts. He was running around and playing and sitting on people's laps and everything. But they had a display out front, this beach theme for the convention. And there were, pails of sand that were tipped over with, it was very lovely display, but there were beach balls propped up on the display. Well, somebody decided that the best thing in the world to do would be to give Noah a beach ball. And he of course loved that. And 
brought it into the annual meeting and started batting it around. So during the annual meeting, Noah was playing <laughs> bat the beach ball with members in, in the, sitting in the back of the room. It was really pretty. And funny. that was the most popular Noah's ever been in, or ever will be at NCAJ. <laughs> 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 so, you know, some of the, I mean, a lot of my memories that my really, you know, the ones that stand out in my mind do involve family. And you know, we brought, went, that convention was in Wilmington, but then several years later, we moved to Ocean Creek in South Carolina. And it was a wonderful, wonderful spot for our organization at the time, which was, as I said, quite a bit smaller, but we all brought our families. And at Ocean Creek, there was this whole crew of kids that would be marching down to the beach and, and hanging out. The beach at Ocean Creek had an ocean side and a creek side, of, and the kids would all play in the creek. A lot of the, these seminars and everything were always in the morning, and all the families would head down to the beach in the afternoons and spend the beach the afternoons together. The other one that comes to mind is when I had all the boys again at the convention when I became president, and you were there too. <laughs> So speaking of you being president, you've held a number of leadership roles within CAJ. In fact, as long as I've worked with you and known you, you've been in leadership in some capacity within CAJ and for many decades before that. What has been your favorite leadership role that you have ever served in? Oh, my goodness. I have to say being president was has to be the favorite, but I really have enjoyed all the roles a lot. Being president was... It was such an honor. And then to be able to accept that honor and then, you know, work for everyone in the group to do the best that we could do to move the move us forward for that year was phenomenal. And I'm be forever grateful. I really enjoy the times that I've been asked to serve as the past president appointed by the president and to get to know what their vision is for NCAJ and to do whatever they need me to do and help and, and provide counsel when it's necessary. So that's been really very lovely. Being Joe's president-elect was fantastic because I was learning from an amazing man, just not only about how to be a leader, because I really and truly didn't know how to be a leader, but he was he helped me learn that so well. But just to to be with him and to sort of observe his mind for an entire year was just phenomenal. So it's hard to single any out. <laughs> I hope we can share this with Valerie that you, that was your favorite. Cause I know she's about to step into that role. And I think she's, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge role to fill. It and is. so I'm glad that, you know, you said that even in hindsight, it was your favorite that you yes, enjoyed that. It really was. I mean, it's, it's hard work. There's no doubt about it, but it is so gratifying. It really is. Okay, so you have been chosen to be the past president, chosen by the current president a number of times, which I think is says so much about your skills as a leader and your ability to give great advice Thank to you. current leaders. I mean, what an honor. But I feel like part of this might be because I think your biggest superpower within NCAJ, from my observations, have been that you have this ability to have so much passion for this organization and so much passion for what it stands for and what it does but you do not lose your cool, unlike some other Abramses's. <laughs> what is your trick and how do you, how do you, how do you carry, how do you put forward all the passion you have for this organization 
into it while doing it with such grace. Oh, you're so kind. (laughs) It's so sweet. One of the things that I think is really, really important in any of these leadership roles is to listen to the people that you are trying to lead because you can have all the vision and all the intention in the world and all the sort of objectives. But when you need to bring people along with you to achieve those, you have to listen to the people that you're trying to bring along and figure out where they're coming from. And I think one of the things that I really try to do as much as possible is to listen to everyone in the room and then also talk to folks who aren't in the room and kind of figure out what the temperature of the organization is and try to guide from that perspective. I don't know if that's what it is or not, but it's just kind of the the way I try to approach things. I, and you're kind to say I don't lose my cool. I think I have only, <laughs> I did lose my cool in one meeting with NCAJ, but it was not at all at a member. It was about a facilitator who was kept interrupting our president. And I just, I was accused of being the mom in the room. And I just literally put my hand up and said, stop, you have to stop interrupting. So I have my moments, <laughs> but thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. I try hard to be a consensus builder. And that's really the way I see leadership. That's what's comfortable for me. And with a big stick, it's not my thing. Seems to work for you. (laughs) Um, What has been your biggest challenge as a leader of the organization? I guess what comes to mind is the biggest challenge that I faced when I was president. And we, as you know, are a group of very strong-willed individuals who do a lot of different, we all do the same thing in the sense of representing individuals who have been wronged in one way or another, or who are accused of wrongdoing and need representation. But we all have, we have different sections, different practices, different practice areas. And it is sometimes very difficult, I think, for the organization to meet the needs of each of those groups. And I faced a challenge during my presidency where we had one group of attorneys in one practice area and a group in another practice area who were not really seeing eye to eye or who felt that they were being underrepresented or underappreciated. And balancing that is difficult. I mean, it's very, very difficult, I know, for the staff. But that was a challenge because I did really, it's important to me with this organization that we stick together because I think we are so much better together. And I think that if we can try not to have those differences come to a boiling point so that it then becomes fractious, that's really important. And that, that was my goal was to say, we need to look at the big picture. We need to look at what we're really trying to accomplish as a group and do that together and try to figure out a way to work together to do that, which means we have to get along. And that's challenging. We are celebrating 60 years of NCAJ, and you've been a big part of, of the last several. What does NCAJ need to do to stay relevant for young lawyers and to keep young lawyers interested in this organization relevant for the next 60 years? That is an incredibly great question. And it is something that I, that I do grapple with personally, because I do want this organization to 
continue to do the work it's doing and to be supportive because I think that's what we, that is the most, one of the most important things we do. I guess I'll go back to, I think we have to listen to what young lawyers need, but at the same time, try to keep doing what we have been doing and make sure that they understand that new young members who are coming in understand the importance of what we have been doing and why we've been doing it. So while listening to young lawyers to hear what they think they need, I think there's also a part that is you have to model activities and behaviors so that they can appreciate what they can do and how important they are to the legal system. And that's a tough balance, especially as we're getting bigger and bigger. And when I was coming along, basically the young lawyers who were members of the organization were told, you have to go and see this person. You have to go and hear this person. You need to go sit in these courtrooms and listen to their arguments. And you need to learn from these people in order to do the work that you're doing. Well, that's still really true in not have to, but that would be advisable for folks to do. It's less possible to do as we're so much bigger. And as, as things spread out, trial, we don't have as many trials and opportunities to watch each other in action. So I think we have to bring that to the younger, newer members. I also think that we as an organization, advocacy has been, it's an incredibly important part of what we've done. And it will remain, I think, and I hope, a really important thing, part of what we do. And to become relevant for young new members, I think we have to educate them about how important that part of what we do is. I think most lawyers come to NCAJ because they have friends, they have partners, they have colleagues who are coming here. That's how they get introduced, come for the CLE and the learning. But then to maintain the organization, they all need to understand the importance of what we do in a bigger sense, in a global sense, to protect their practices and the people that they represent. So I think it's a big task, <laughs> but I, I really do hope that the organization is up to it and that those of you who are now have been around for a while are, are ready and willing and able to carry it forward. And from what I can see, you are. We will do our best. <laughs> um, how does it feel to be a legend? Oh, <laughs> I'm not a legend. Apparently, you are. <laughs> now I'm just me. <laughs> it's an honor. It really is an honor to be to be considered a legend. Not something I feel like I deserve. I just I'm just one of I'm just one of us. Right, you don't give yourself enough credit. What are, what is what are you most proud of at NC of your work at NCJ? And there's been so many things that you've oh, done, and a lot of it is so like quietly and gracefully done. There's got to be something that you like. I did that, and I'm so glad I did. Oh, uh, I think I'm really proud of championing the young women in the organization, and honestly, I think you have given me the opportunity to do that in a way that I might not have otherwise. And that's really special to me. It'll make me cry. <laughs> we had, when I was coming along, and I guess probably more like 15, 20 years ago, 
We had a women's caucus that was a nominal women's caucus. Every women attorney who was a member of NCAJ was automatically a member of women's caucus, and we just didn't do anything. You know, we met every convention. We had a brunch, and we did. Some of the women who were kind of heading that up from time to time brought in speakers. We brought, if we had a female who was heading AJ, they would often come to speak to the group at the luncheon because they were there for the convention anyway. But you and your group of young women, powerful young women, revitalized Women's Caucus. And then to be able to support that and encourage you and try to mentor you to the extent that I can has been just phenomenal to me. Well, we are all very grateful for all the support we got because it was something that required support from the powers that be. And so we really appreciate that. It's been such an amazing yeah. thing. And it's been so fun to get to continue the spirit of passing it on. So I appreciate. Yeah. Well, thanks. I, the thing about Women's Caucus that's interesting to me is when I was a young female lawyer in this organization and just practicing in general, there were so many fewer for one thing. And it was important to me to be seen not as a woman lawyer, but just as a lawyer. And I think that most of the women leaders who came before me in this organization felt the same way. And so having a separate organization or a separate part of our organization that emphasized the fact that we were women lawyers was not necessarily something we supported and didn't feel a need for because, again, we were really small and we everybody supported everybody. I think one of the things that was a struggle when you guys were starting it up again was to overcome that concept that had come before. And I realized pretty quickly that it's different, that the Women's Caucus now is not trying to emphasize the difference between a male and a female lawyer or a group of lawyers, but really to support each other in the ways in which practicing law as a woman, a young woman, a mother is different from practicing as a male lawyer. And just to be there to help each other, to answer questions, just to be a smaller group. One of the things about organizations when they get bigger and bigger is you need to find a small group. NCAJ is no different than other organizations that get big. Um, we have our sections and that's been so helpful because what I had as an organization as a whole isn't really possible. So you find your group in the smaller section. So that's been a wonderful development. And Women's Caucus is just part of that. But the other thing that's just so incredible about it and that I feel so proud of you and your group for is recognizing the power that women attorneys together have that is different, that you bring a different voice to the table, that we can just bring a different way of looking at things. And it's always better to have different points of view when you're making decisions. And that's really powerful. And I think it's going to be something that strengthens this organization tremendously. Absolutely. I hope we can use it to our advantage. I do. And I, and I 100% agree. I feel like when, when I was first a lawyer in this organization before, I didn't know other women lawyers. Mm -hmm. I didn't know who was a lawyer who wasn't, you know, who I, I did not have that community. And I am so thankful that leadership supported or the women in leadership supported Women's Caucus so that we could continue to grow and thrive. Because prior to that, I didn't know other women lawyers. I had no one to reach out to to right. ask those questions. 
and the, it is different. You know, it we is. do face some different things mm-hmm. and it's so wonderful to have that community in yeah. a smaller group. And I think it's made the organization stronger. Mm-hmm. I think we have better attendance at things because you have made a space for women to be included and they want to be here. Oh, it's really true. And, you know, I didn't, as I mentioned there, you know, there were wonderful women lawyers who, and we all did support each other, but there weren't very many of us. And we didn't, I didn't feel like I had any other women friends who were lawyers in Raleigh that I could really reach out to and talk to about you know, just how difficult it can be from time to time. But no, I think that it is, it's just been a wonderful, wonderful progression, I will say. Of all of your sons, <laughs> who is the smartest and why is it Noah? <laughs> <laughs> because he married you. <laughs> oh my God, that was good. I don't know I was going to ask that question. And he was like, <laughs> oh, that was a win. <laughs> It's been such an honor to talk to you today, Peggy, and thank you so much for all of the support that you've given me individually as an attorney and, of course, Noah also, and to instilling in in both of us the importance of this organization. It is so important to us, and it is that way, and we love it so because you and Doug have shown us how important it is and how much we can do for our fellow members and the practice as members of this organization. Well. Thank you very much. It's been a, it's been fun, and and I appreciate, I appreciate this very much. Thank you, and you guys are doing great. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Voices of NCAJ. For more information on the North Carolina Advocates for Justice and how to join or support NCAJ, please visit our website at www.ncaj.com. <laughs>